Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Frankie Picasso, and it's February. And as I said, you're listening to Mission Unstoppable. February has become synonymous with three things for me. One, it's bitter cold where I live in Canada. Two, the annual February blues party is just around the corner, where you get the best music and the best food around, and is Black Heritage Month. Now, you may ask yourself why a white, privileged woman like me would care about something like Black History Month. Maybe I like to watch pride fill the eyes and hearts of a younger generation when they hear of the accomplishments of those who came before them. Maybe I believe there's a lesson for all of us of tenacity and strength and empathy for the absolute horror and inhumanity with which the white race is treated and still treats African-Americans today. Maybe as someone raised as a Jew, I feel a kinship and understanding of what it's like to be hated for just existing and have vowed as a young girl to do something about racism in all of its forms. You know, during the North Carolina riots last year, I learned from the alt-right that I'm not white, newsflash, but I'm going to leave it to others who care about labels to give me a color on the color wheel. Joining me today are two exceptional gentlemen I have had the honor of spending some time with in the past, and I'm delighted to bring them together to discuss life, color, business, and what Black history means to them. Gary, raise your hand. Gary Polk is a businessman, an author, university professor who lives and breathes and teaches entrepreneurship. And to that end, he founded the Polk Institute of Social Entrepreneurship. And you can see that in the background is his new logo. His latest book is titled Why Black and Brown Entrepreneurs Fail to Win. And Gary believes that when people, planet and profit are in alignment, it's the secret sauce that drives success for everyone involved. Alan Maxwell, Alan has had four major careers in his life. He reached the status of Chief Warrant Officer 3 in the Navy. He then took on a role of aerospace engineer at the Space and Naval Warfare Command in San Diego. And today he runs his own business, Omni 2 Max, a defense contractor with businesses in nine states, hundreds of employees. And he just added author to that list and his book, The System is Unforgiving, Play by the Rules and Win, which is now a bestseller. So welcome gentlemen to the show. Together. <laughs> I love it that you're together. Yeah. I, you know, to be here. I, I was inspired to to have Gary and Alan meet. Um, and I think Devin may have arranged that. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. I just think it's so cool that you guys did do that. I, you know, I interviewed you separately and I just had this feeling that you should that you should meet and something will happen because of it. And did anything happen because of it? <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. For sure. Yep, we're certainly working on something really good for both of us. You know, um, I don't think we talked about this, Gary, last time. Alan was, was you know, raised on the mean streets of Philly. And then, you know, in his teens, he went to visit Grandma's Farm in deep South Georgia. And, and you know, both of those places left a deep impact on him as a man and, and what he grew into. But, Gary, I don't think we talked about where you grew up and how you grew up. That's a good question. What's interesting is that I grew up in Los Angeles, California, but my parents uh, both were from Texas, a small town called Waxahachie. Waxahachie. And you either heard of it or you have not. There's no in between. So we would go on family vacations. And I remember we would come in on the white side of town and the roads would be paved like in LA. And then we got to the black side of town and the roads were dirt. And I just remember my experiences going from there, from here to there. And I remember one time going down and coming back saying, well, I'm glad you guys moved to California. (laughs) And that was before my days, but it's just a different world. So I love my family down in Texas, but the lifestyle was just different. Um, I was a first generation college graduate for my family. I had a cousin down there. And I remember, I think one of the times I was maybe in high school or just one year in college or something, going down and hanging out now with kids that were younger 
and now we're older and I'm in college or going to college and they were looking for a job and their idea of fun was get a blue collar job, drink some beer, and that was it. And it was interesting because in Texas, you have Southern Baptists that really control, you have dry towns, mm -hmm. no alcohol. When those dry towns, you have more alcoholics, but you would go outside of town, you wouldn't buy a six pack, <laughs> you'd buy a case of beer. And then they would drive back through the country drinking this case. I said, wow. And that was kind of their lifestyle. And that's okay. And the food was better and all that stuff. But to me, it was more about education and more about doing something a little different. And so I don't want to say we're better. That's why I say different. But that was their culture. That was their lifestyle. I grew up in LA. I've had career opportunities. I came out of Loyola Marymount. I interviewed with IBM. And I'm on the fourth interview. They're getting ready to make an offer. And they say, you got to be mobile. I said, what does that mean? Well, we're a national company. I've lived in Memphis. I've lived in Cleveland. And I'm thinking, hmm, Memphis, Cleveland? No, thank you. I interviewed with Bank of America. They say our region was from El Segundo to Santa Barbara. Okay, all in California. I'm good with that. You're good so with on that. purpose, I've stayed in LA, LA County, Southern California, because I love our lifestyle. I love our diversity, but I also love the progression that we have. But if we don't want to do that, we can stay at home. We can go to the mountains. We can go to the beach. So yeah, we have yeah. everything. So that's really it. I hear you on that. Alan, yeah. you were also the first college graduate in your family, weren't you? Do we have Alan? Of males, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I have four other brothers, yes. Uh, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... Kind of left them behind in the dust, but we're still working. Mm -hmm. <laughs> still, you know, I, it was, it's interesting. I was just um, reading about a woman. Actually, her sister, her sister, um, Viola Davis, she was, this is a Black history moment in Canada. Uh, Viola da Davis in um, November the 8th, 1946. So a few years be before Rosa Parks, went to a theater waiting for her car to be fixed and sat in the white section and refused to leave it and was, you know, was arrested. And um, just in oh, 2010, she was granted an official apology uh, by the Lieutenant Governor, Mayenne Francis, who was also the first black person to serve as the Queen's representative in Nova Scotia. And wow. she gave her a free pardon and her sister, her 83 year old sister, Wanda Robeson was there to accept that. And Wanda gave a speech about um she went she just went to college she went to college at 73 and graduated at 77 and she's telling kids you know what go to school don't wait oh, don't wait till it's free <laughs> like she did because she over 65 it's free i guess i didn't know that but she you know she she took full advantage of it and her sister is the first woman now on the ten dollar bill in canada which is really exciting it's pretty oh, cool wow. that's pretty cool yeah it's pretty cool yeah, but it, it you know, it just, it shows it. I guess if you wait long enough, things change. But I, I'm, I'm wondering from both of you, because I, I think sometimes people think too little, too late, things, you know, if they change, but so what, you know, all this stuff was done to me or people's attitudes towards me. Do you want, like, so when things change, what do you, what do you guys think? If, if attitudes change, I mean, you've, you've, Alan, you have the system, you know how to work the system, you, you went through, you know, life using your system and moving ahead in, in you know, your careers and, and all of that stuff. And because you were focused, and you had a direction and you had something that you wanted, you know, you, you let it, the stuff fly by you, I think a little bit, and because, hey, I'm getting where I want to go, that, that stuff's just extraneous fluff, right? Um, exactly right. And, and I think you too, Gary, you know, you worked at the bank and, and, you know, you teach at your, your professor at a university. Um, again, you know, you made your lifestyle in Los Angeles. Diversity is, is there. And, and, you know, I don't know if you got, if knew any gang members, I know that, that Alan, you were involved with the gangs early in Philly. And then you left that when, you know, you went to grandma's farm, but is there a point, will there be a point in the future when when everything is status quo, let's say, and and African Americans, do you think can just say, okay, I can let that go. Let's just let's just forget all the the, the hate and and that I grew up with and the fury and all of that stuff. And you know what? They owe me, but 
let's just move forward. I'm being treated okay right now or whatever it is. I don't know. I just future forward. I'm thinking, will there be a day when, when they will feel okay? You know, I've heard Did I go that, first. Yeah, okay. go ahead. Whoever. No, no, go ahead, Gary. Go ahead. I've heard that question before and I've heard it answered in a different way. It's really not up to us to let it go as blacks. It's up to the majorities to let it go. And so when that happens, then we may see it, but I don't worry about things that I can't control. So I can't control them. I know I can control me. Right. And my mentality is I don't want to have it as a chip on my shoulder. I'm not going to sit around and have a pity party and say, well, I'm a black man and I can't do this and that and the other. I decided a long time ago, I was going to take what God gave me and I was going to do the best with it. Um, I had an uncle that was like 5'4", and I remember when I was a kid, I'm almost his height, and I said, wow, Uncle Weldon, you're always smiling. You're short. What's wrong with that? <laughs> and, he, and he says, well, Gary, men aren't judged by their height. They're judged by their heart. Yeah. And he said, as long as you have a good heart, you're a big man. And that I bought that. I bought that. So I stretched out to 5'7", and I'm telling people I'm a 5'7 basketball player. They say, no, you're not. I say, yes, I am. Watch me. Come watch me play. So I've dealt with stuff like that all the time. But what was interesting, one of my buddies was 6'4", and I wish I was 6'4", but he wished he was 6'8". Yeah. He told me that even if you get to where you think you want to be, it's not going to be perfect. And the 6'8 guy probably wishes he was 7'2". So anyway, and I just think that it ultimately comes back to who you are, what you believe in, and when I wrote my book, Why Black and Brown Entrepreneurs Fail to Win, I did put in a chapter about cultural differences in this, the second chapter because it's real. Right. We live in America and racism is part of it. So we can call that the grill in the room. And will we ever get out of that? I don't know. But do we have to dwell on that? No, we don't. And then my other chapter was cult, uh, is self-doubt holding you back. But beyond that, then we're all entrepreneurs. We have to deal with operations and management and marketing and finance. Coming from banking, I know that if the numbers don't work, the boat don't float. Mm -hmm. So at some point, we have to be people right. beyond whatever color we are. And just a quick story, just to end my answer, then hear from Alan. I took a class on diversity when I was coaching at Dominguez Hills, put on by the NCAA. And growing up Black, I thought I knew a lot about diversity. But they came up with this concept, the salad bowl versus the melting pot. So the United States considered melting pot. The problem with the melting pot is everything goes in and you lose your identity. Mm -hmm. The salad bowl, you mix it together, you put in lettuce and tomatoes and cucumbers and whatever it is, and you mix it together, you still have your identity of whatever you are. So you mix it up, lettuce is still lettuce, Tomatoes are still tomatoes, but it tastes really good as a combination. You throw in some onions and whatever else. Right. And so I see myself as remembering my identity as a black male, but mixing up with diversity and let's do it. And those who don't care about my color, I don't care about their color. If they care about my color and it's a problem, then I move on. Right. So th those are the things I control. And I just worry about that part of it. I love that. But I don't think we control the answer to your question. Yeah. Uh, I think you're in a minority. I think Alan might be too. <laughs> well, well I, have, I have a slightly different take, but I agree everything what Gary said. Um, I think that if we want to, if we want to see this go away, we have to stop talking about it and we have to hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, to me, it's that simple. Um, I'm not a black American. I'm not an African American. I'm an American. There's no such thing as a German American or a Jewish American or a white American. I agree. We're all Americans. 100%. Right? We're all Americans. And so wrong is wrong. Right is right. So if someone come at anyone because of their, their race, gender, creed, or color, then hold them accountable. The media, and I hate to say this, is probably our worst enemy because they keep this stuff up. Right. By Just for instance, this last election, the black votes. What does that mean? So um, I've raised my kids to tell them that there's two types of people in this world. Simple as this. There's good people and there's bad people. That's it. 
That's the way I live my life. So why I say the system is unforgiving, play by the rules and win, you need to understand, right, the environment that you're in. Now, absolutely, and through my entire life, I have never, never, ever, never, ever considered playing the race card. Why? Because I know to get a seat at the table, I had to come correct. I need to have a degree. I need to have experience. I need to be able to sit at the table tall. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ask for a handout at the table. I demanded a seat at the table. Right. Because I was qualified and ready to sit at the table. Right. So I think that's the difference. And I think the more, the more we as a people um, bring our stuff together without looking for any type of discounts or any type of handouts or any type of affirmative action or any of that stuff. Granted, don't get me wrong. I understand we got to even the odds from the past. We have to, at some point, you know, establish a baseline. But I think we established that baseline really, really quick by holding people accountable for their actions. Go out and do something wrong to someone. I don't care what. Hold them accountable. Put them in jail. Not put young men in jail because of the color of their skin or because of their uh, economic background and stuff like that. So we got it all wrong. And, and somehow know that we have to get our leadership that we put in place to understand that. But right now, I think our leadership is all about themselves and they could give a rat's butt about everyone else. So I think a lot of that stuff is festered and stirred. I mean, I, I love Rosa Parks. I love Martin Luther King. I love all our forefathers that, that paved the way. But now we need to talk about who's going to pave the way for the future. You know, you can't move forward looking back. You just can't. Yeah. Document it, accept it, appreciate it. But we got to we got to move for tomorrow. You know, we got to worry about tomorrow and how we're going to make this a better place. I love so that. That's kind of, yeah, that, that's you know, kind of my, take on it. my my feeling is the same as, as you and people. Go, oh, you shouldn't have feeling like I feel the same, though. I mean, like, I always wonder why African-American? Why are you calling yourself like we know yeah. what you are? <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, Why do you have to put that in front? I was born in Austria. I'm not an Austrian Canadian. I'm I'm a Canadian now, right. you know, so right. you don't need the definer all the time. Like you're a man. You're not a black man. You're a man. And and a once, man. Once, once we get rid of all the labels, because I really hate labels, exactly. then mm -hmm. we can just be people. People who walk the world together, right? Here's the funny part. I have no concept of what Africa is like, never been there, have no desires to go there. For no other reason than I just have no desires to go there. I'm, I've heard had a lot of friends that go there. Beautiful place, maybe, that's fine. Right. Nor do I have any desires to go to uh, Kathmandu, you know? So not anything against Africa. It's just that it never got on my top 10 destination locations. Right. So um, why, why am I being labeled called from North Philly? <laughs> well, I, I get that because I'm thinking that probably half the nation could care less if they ever went to Africa and don't even want to be there if they went there. But, you know, that's OK. There's there's an identity to that, I, I think. Uh, the same as being, you know, everybody's a king and a queen. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, that's another story. Yeah. But Gary, you wanted to level the playing field with with the Polk Institute, with, you know, with, with your um this, you know, online school for entrepreneurship, you wanted to, you're, you're reaching out to black and brown entrepreneurs. You're not discluding white entrepreneurs, but you're reaching out to black and brown because you want to give them um, an education that they haven't had from, you know, from birth, let's say, because a lot of their parents weren't business people or weren't born, you know, in that manner. And so as from a, having your banking background, you, you know what they're looking for in, in a, uh, a business plan to get money. You know how to play that game. Is that fair to say? It is. And, you know, I'm glad you asked me that because um, we, when we started talking about the Polk Institute of Social Entrepreneurship back in July, we wanted to be one of the positive things that came out of COVID-19. Uh, the Zoom technology kind of broke down that barrier of entry. We didn't need to have a hotel to teach a class. We didn't need to have brick and mortar, we could do it online. I was serving people through the SBA. I started doing a seminar, a webinar through my SBDC. I had a class Then I started teaching. I realized that I could do this. So we said that our first class, we would have 26, uh, 25 founders. We overachieved a little bit and we wound up with 26 founders. And what's really exciting is that we have 17 women led companies 
We have nine men-led companies. Wow. But our ethnic breakdown, we have 11 black-led companies, six brown, seven white, and two Asian. And to me, that's a great thing. But we could just say we have 26 entrepreneurs that we're trying to teach the business. And really, if you get into it, I think diversity is a good thing because if you look at some other areas like sports and entertainment, you have people from all over the world now. And if you wanna be world-class, you can't be just black or just brown or what have you. Oh, we lost you there for a minute. Hopefully he'll come back. Yeah. He's gonna say something absolutely brilliant and we're gonna miss it all. <laughs> about diversity you can't you can't just be black or brown in the world right. right because the world we live in today technology has really flattened the world and so it's really a, a more level playing field from a business standpoint you can literally have customers in south america in mexico in other places that you could never dream of before technology so technology can be good and the fact that we have this breakdown to me is amazing. This is what we were looking for. But when we went through the interview process, we didn't have a quota. So what happened just happened organically and this is what we wound up with. And we we're very pleased to have this. But if we looked at generational, we have three Gen Zs that are 23 and under. We have three baby boomers. We have a few Gen X and then the rest are millennials. And that's a cool thing because we have generational diversity as well. And so I think diversity is good because I think if you get into one area only, all black, all brown, all white, whatever, you kind of lose something. And again, I think if you have this salad bowl mentality where you always maintain your identity, but you want to mix up with others, then that it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm, I, he didn't mention indigenous people. And I'm a little sad that, you know, maybe they didn't get the message to come or whatever, the, the aboriginals, but um, man, I really think everybody needs to needs to be a part of this. And, and with the social impact part of it, then no matter what business you get into, you can use that money to help people that you want to help mm -hmm. in whatever manner you want to do. But I think it is good, you know, for people to meet other people and to hear ideas of other people instead of the same people, it broadens your horizon and it definitely um, helps you be more creative in, in, you know, the long run. Well, I tell my students at Dominguez Hills, we have a lot of diversity on our campus. And I say, one of the great things about our university is that we can sit in the classroom with other people, with other backgrounds and cultures and talk and share so we don't really need the media because like Alan said earlier, the media has really screwed us up in a lot of ways. And uh, it's amazing how you know, blondes have more fun. Who said that? Some marketing guy. And now that's what's out there. And it's, it's a media thing. The blondes really have more fun? I don't know, I'm not blonde. I don't know. I used to be for that. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is I'd rather be in a classroom hearing other people yes. and let the media tell me how other people are. And I think that's yeah, the key. Exactly. First-hand experience. This past week, you know, people are dropping left, right, and center. Um, they're saying little bombs coming out of their mouth. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. You're gone. Like, are we getting too sensitive? Or is it appropriate to, we talked about at the beginning, you want to, you know, get these people. Is it appropriate to say, you should have just watched what you said because now you're fired whether they meant it at, or not. Look at the circus. Look at the circus act that's transpired over the last four years, not to get into anything political. Why not? Just look I at don't the like. conduct. Yeah. Just, just, well, I mean, just the conduct alone. You know, it's like, I've never seen anything like this in Anywhere. America. And, and Anywhere. These are the, right, right. And these are the example setters. So how do you conduct yourself in a manner that's unbecoming? And it's like two kids fighting and you're saying both of them are wrong. You're like, well, wait a minute. We were learned, I think Michelle Obama said, when they go high, when they go low, we go high. Okay, that was a great cliche. It lasted for two seconds, but we don't live by it. That's right. You know, so, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know what to think of what's going on anymore. Back in the day, and I was going to mention something that Gary talked about when he, when he listened, uh, labeled all the different uh, generations. Mm -hmm. What happened to when you sit on grandpa's knee, right? 
and, and you're not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> right, right. You got wisdom, man. You got wisdom. He didn't say you was a millennial or Gen X. And like, Grandpa said you was a grandson, and I'm going to impart some knowledge. That's and right. that's where I think we're missing. We're missing that 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 wholesome, down the earth. You know, you do something wrong. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to whoop your butt as a child. Right. Um, as as an adult, you do something wrong. You're going to pay a penalty for it. You do something right. I'm going to reward you. Uh, I think what happened there, Alan, sorry, we've lost morals, we've lost values, we've lost manners, we've lost so much stuff in the, not just in the last four years, but especially the last four years, that just seems to have gone out the window. And I know, you know, at military, you get all of that. And I know my son went to a, you know, a, a paramilitary hockey school, and he got all that. And I got all that in a private school. And I, I so wish that we could go back to that. Because even when, you know, Biden came into the into the White House, I just felt like, oh, a grown-ups in the room, there's some manners, or at least manners are back. At least, you know, you don't have name-calling, because I really hate name-calling. It's like my number one right. thing. But, right. you know, well, like, what happened to our value systems and, and morals and please and thank yous? Like, where'd it go? Yep, just okay. a simple prayer. You know, prayer was just a means of grounding folks. It, it didn't try to force you into religion uh, uh, environment it just it just kind of made us all even you know let's let's just pray for goodness for everybody and and that's even taken away so I think we've our moral compass has shifted and the sad part is I don't see it coming back right in itself no. I just only see it getting worse because of all the political PC stuff all the you know all the other rhetoric that goes on about feelings and emotions and you know, respect this and that. I mean, uh, it's just unbelievable where we're There's at. There's no respect. They don't even understand the word respect. There's no respect. No respect. Yeah. Well, you know, I think some of that has to do with technology. We talked about how television has shaped a lot of our thoughts. And I remember I was the only child, so I watched a lot of TV in the 60s and 70s. And some of the images that you saw on TV, and now if we move to another level, uh, if you haven't seen it, you got to see the movie Social Dilemma. And it talks about what social media and how it's actually uh, it's a documentary. And this, these are guys who are actually doing it. Now they're remorseful because they realize they've become too powerful in shaping thought. Mm. So I was a marketing major in undergrad. And I know that marketing was about persuasion. And basically, mm-hmm. marketers want to persuade you to spend your discretionary dollars on their product. But now we have this social media and these cell phones. So technology has become kind of a, a good, bad thing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so can we ever unplug from social media? And you should really see Social Dilemma because at the end of it, they start talking about some things that we need to do. And some of those things is that we need to unplug. Yeah. Because now it's interesting. If you go to Google and you Google something, a search, it will give you one list. If you go to Bing and search the same thing, it will give you another list. Because now they have these things called algorithms. Right. And my wife could do something and it'll give her five stories. And I'll get different stories. Why is that? Because they know what I'm doing on my phone. Right. You used to worry about Big Brother. Now is big tech. You just talk about something at dinner and it's the next commercial on your phone. The next exactly. Well, how but does you, that but happen? You know but you know what's interesting, right? What did we do before cell phones? What did we do before all this technology? We actually got on a phone and talked to people. That's right. And that's what we're missing. That's, that's the problem. I mean, I, I, I literally, to this day, have to get on my employee's case because they will be delinquent in something and their answer is, well, I sent them an email and I'll say, wait a minute, that, that doesn't cut it. That's right. That doesn't cut it. Pick up your phone. If you don't hear anything within a certain period of time, pick up the phone and call. Do you think people just sit around all day long and on their cell phone and, uh, and uh, just, um, and, and just watch their cell phone and text messages. Uh, that's, that's, uh, we got to pick up the phone and talk to people. We got to do things like this, take technology if we can't be together, let's get face to face so I can at least see your, 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 
your body language. I can, you know, understand That's a little bit like more Zoom. about you. At I can see you. Yeah, I can talk see you. you and yeah. talk to you and hear hear you. Yeah. Because so much, so many things are misinterpreted in emails. I can't hear the tone of your oh, voice. God, are you yeah. a joker? Oh, you know, are you just teasing me? Yeah. Like yeah. I don't know you, yeah. so I can't. Your personality is coming out, but I'm right. not reading it correctly or interpreting it correctly. Right. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Marty Cooper. Marty Cooper was the father of the cell phone. 1974, he made the first call in New York City on, the, on, on a giant cell phone. And okay. Marty believed, you know, in the cell phone and he believed that it was going to bring us better health in the future. He really saw it as a connector for health and a connector for well being and all of that. He didn't, you know, see all of this other stuff that came with it. Um, the addiction, you know, and, and, and the way that it's like you were talking about, Gary, you know, commercial swaying, how half the country saw an election as fraud and half the didn't see that, right? Because of what they're getting fed. And, and it's, it's so interesting. But if it can be used for good, you know, can it be instead of taking people apart, how can they bring people together? You know, maybe that's what we should be looking at. How can we bring, you know, this diversity to make it a good thing? Uh, in people's eyes rather than something that's going to tear us apart. Yeah, I agree. It would be nice to be able to uh, maybe Gary together, we can, uh, you know, invent something that will, will bring people. <laughs> I think people will just have to know people. I think that's all yeah, it is. Yeah, just, you know, yeah, like there was a guy, buddy or something. <laughs> yeah. There was a guy I interviewed a, a couple of years back and, and he did an experiment on, and he took, um, he filled the house there was i don't know five or six black women and men and women same women and white and you know who were really really haters of both and they stayed there for a week or two weeks or something like that and at the end of it they were all friendly and everybody liked the other person and they changed their views why because they actually got to know somebody exactly. in person right exactly. they see hey we're the same and you mentioned something earlier frankie about the military mm -hmm. i give the military major props because the military is able to take people from all walks of life, rich, poor, good, bad, and put them in a pot and make one person come out the other end because you're being judged by your actions and you're being held accountable by your own actions, not by anything else anybody else said or did. Mm -hmm. And the important part of that is, is when you realize that, you know, that you're being held accountable and that you are charged with a mission to go do something really good, then you have to go and do it. But the ideal of respecting people for who they are and what they provide and what they contribute to the good of the all, that's what's important. And that's where the military really, really uh, uh, hits a home run in terms of bringing diversity together. But because is it because there's ex you, you know what they expect? There's the rules, right? Exactly. So here are the rules. This is what we, my son loved that. He loved it. He knew, Absolutely. That, you know, this is how you get ahead because this is what I have to do. They're expect, the expectations are, are very clear, black and white, right? This is what you have to know and do. So if you abide by those rules and if you do everything well, then you're going to move ahead. And, and for some people, that's a really good thing. For right. other people who don't like rules, <laughs> you know, it's harder. But at the same time, it's expectations are good to know because kids are out in the world. They don't know what we expect out of them anymore because, you know, on one day it's okay. And another day it's not okay. Right. But the good news, I'm sorry. The good news there is when you fail, you know why. Right. You can sit there and say, I did not follow the rules that were in front of me. I did not abide by the, you know, the decorum in the room. So now, therefore, I'm going to get punished for it. Right. Unlike, unlike being punished for no reason or you don't understand. So that's, again, the good part about that. So Gary, um, let's look at entrepreneurship for a second. Are there rules? Yeah. Okay. Are there rules in entrepreneurship? Well, that would be a yes and no. I think at the end of the day, if you are in business, it's called capitalism. Mm -hmm. And so one of the rules of capitalism, we have to have competition. So competition is part of it. Uh, if you want to scale a business, I think you need a team. Uh, you never want to start a company with five marketing people or five finance people. So you need diversity and skill set. So that may be a rule because <laughs> it was amazing. I taught this uh, capstone uh, class of seniors. We played this computer game. And first couple of times I taught, it, I said, well, 
seniors, I'll let you pick your own team. And I let five marketing guys be on one team. And the first thing they did, sold all their stock. <laughs> they had no idea what they did, but they started in last place and they ended in last place because no one had any idea about finance, didn't know what they were doing. So anyway, I realized I made a mistake as a professor to allow them to put all of one type on a team because they were buddies. Right. But this was competition. But it wasn't a mistake. But no, it was a learning I think, experience. Right. But well, I think Gary, you, for sure. But, but Gary, I do think you just illustrate a whole set of rules. Okay. There, there, there's definitely rules in entrepreneurship. You know, right. you, 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 yeah, because because if you walk in there and you make the mar- marketing mistake like you did, guess what? You fail. Um, and, and building a company, you know, um, one thing I learned was, uh, and I hope it's my time, you know, because <laughs> I just jumped in. Yeah. I get so excited about this. I love this. it. Yeah. But, but, you know, I, you know, the one thing I learned quickly was, and Gary said it earlier, you have to develop a team around you. You can't be the smartest guy in the room. That's right. So you go out and you seek what it takes to build that foundation. And yeah. then the most critical part is you have to treat your people with respect because yeah. they are the ones that's going to take you to glory. Um, you, you pound on their head and you beat them up and you be so over demanding. Yeah. I promise you, you will not succeed in business yeah. or anything. You really by fear is not a good that's, plan. That's it's not a good thing. So you have to empower people and make them a part of the process. You have to do that. Gary, I think you, we talked about this, but I think you said that, even you know black and brown entrepreneurs make a mistake in thinking they're going to serve black customers wrong and so we get into scaling so again if you here's something interesting stanford university they did a survey of hispanic owned businesses back in 2017 98 percent were less than a million dollars in sales that caught my attention and if they did such a survey of black owned businesses, probably 98% or less than a million dollars in sales. You get into why is that? Do they understand economies of scale? And I would imagine that a lot of people, black and brown business owners have not been exposed to other business models. Mm-hmm. Alan has learned the business model of working with government contracts. Yeah. There's a model there. Lucrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And But my point is, there's a model in a lot of things, but if you're not exposed, then you may not think you can do it. Right. And then, so my question, I have this book that I use for marketing and we come up with the concept of innovation driven enterprise. And Bill Allett is the author, he's the uh, entrepreneur director at MIT. A small and medium enterprise is an SME, that's your traditional small business. And they may be in one town. They may be in Los Angeles or Culver City or wherever. An IDE is thinking bigger. They're thinking a region. They're thinking the state. They're thinking the nation. They're thinking global. And it's a mentality. I had an uncle who owned a franchise and the franchisor came back and said, you're a great franchisee. Here's two more. And my uncle didn't have the vision to say, yes, I could do three. And Another lady, a black lady, owned a McDonald's and she had 14 franchises. Nice. And so the difference there was the vision of the owner. Yeah. If you ever watched the movie The Founder, you have the McDonald brothers who were brilliant operationally, but from a visionary standpoint, they couldn't see 1,000 McDonald's. Yeah. Ray Kroc could see that. Yeah. And so sometimes you got to get into the vision of the CEO. And then to me, that becomes leadership. So in the Polk Institute, what we're doing, we tell them we're going to create fundable CEOs. And that's our goal, that you can articulate a vision that people can see and want to be part of. I call it an actionary. Yeah, visionary who acts. And then you can assemble a team of people smarter than you in other areas, but then you got to take care of them. This is what Alan was talking about. Probably the best company to take care of their team that we all know about is Starbucks. Yeah. Starbucks is amazing. I have a case study where Howard Schultz said he chose not to franchise. He chose to keep it a chain because he wanted all his employees to be able to buy stock in Starbucks. Hmm. And he didn't want these franchisees to have that ability. But then the third thing to be a CEO, a fundable CEO, is maybe to go out and get the resources. 
the financial resources, the money, the investors, maybe the key partnerships, maybe uh, more talent on your team. And so if you can articulate a vision, if you can assemble a team and go out and get resources, that makes you a fundable CEO. Right. So when we bring people in, we say, well, what's your vision? And it's okay to dream big. Because mm-hmm. if you know anything about math, you have 100,000, you put a zero, now you got a million. Add another zero, you got 10 million. Some companies round off millions. And it's really just a mentality of what can be done. And I think sometimes, especially in our community of black and brown, we want to raise that mentality. Yes, you could do a $10 million company. Yes, you can do a $50 million company, but you cannot be the Lone Ranger. Right. You have to have a team. And the people, this is why I love people, planet, and profit, because it's about people, it's about our planet, and it's still about profit. And if right. we can teach them how to fish, I think we've done a great thing. Yeah, I do too. Well, I do too. I love it. Well, well I'm, here to, I'm here to tell you about the journey. Okay. And, and it's really it's really a very humbling experience to go from, you know, making, you know, uh, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year to to being responsible and making you know millions of dollars. Um, it's it's definitely a it's again, it's one thing theoretically, but it's another thing practically to actually walk through it and sit there. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny, my wife and I look at each other today and go, wow, can you believe it? I mean, we look around our home, we look at our cars, we look at our lifestyle, we look at where we're at, and we, we just say, you know, we're going to ask God to keep us humble. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it is a transition that you have to make because our friends have changed. Mm-hmm. Our, our conversations have changed. They have to. And, and, it's really, and it's really interesting being here right now um, in South Georgia because my family haven't changed. Right. So they, they see me as still their baby brother, the, the little you know, snot-nosed kids they beat up on. They don't see me as a CEO of a multi-million dollar organization that's nationwide. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's really, really an interesting um, uh, perspective to, to look at. Yeah, as a coach, you know, I talk to I talk to clients about you know the fear. The, a lot of people have a fear of failure, but a lot more have a fear of, of success. Success, absolutely. And and that yeah. fear of success means you might have to leave some people behind. You will have to change mm-hmm. your friends if they can't mm-hmm. you know come on board with that vision of yours, mm-hmm. and you know. Having money isn't about blowing money. Having money is about being strategic with your money. And so, right. you know, it's not about all the cars and boats and things that you can buy. Um, right. Otherwise, you're not going to stay a millionaire. That's right. Long, right. That's right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, it is there. Some of those people do have to change um, because they haven't grown. And it's not a reflection on them as a bad person. It's just they haven't grown. And, 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 I can tell you one more thing, though, is that it's really about character as well. And, you know, we were talking about Black History Month, Martin Luther King is my favorite. Yeah. And he's my favorite because I didn't realize and connect the two. But if you think about what he said, that he wanted his children to be judged by the content of their character yes. instead of the color of their skin. That's and right. then I really I thought about that. But then when I go into banking, they teach me the five C's of credit. And the number one C is character. Mm-hmm. So isn't that interesting that Martin Luther King talked about it from a civil rights standpoint of how people should be viewed, mm-hmm. but then in a business context, it's all about character. And it kind right. of goes back to that. Right. And so what I like about Alan, here's a living person that is a fundable CEO. And they say, well, black guys don't do that. No, that's not true. I know one, but actually mm-hmm. Alan's not the only one. Right. But he had the character. And guess what? He also realized the character was very important because he probably learned that from the military, if not his parents. And so I try to put myself around people of high character because if I see you in five years, I want to walk up and say, how are you doing? As well across the street because I sold you a bill of goods. Right. So right. me, character and relationship go together. Right. So again, it goes back to what I believe in, you know, they talk about this concept of um, emotional intelligence Mm-hmm. And self-awareness is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And having character should be a great part of that because you can do a lot of things and people will follow you if you have character. Yes. And you got to be genuine though. You can't be fake because people figure out a fake. That's why I can't figure out why people follow Trump, man. I just can't figure it out. There's no character. Well, you know, there's no values. There's no trust, no truth, nothing. But you know what, Frankie, is politics. And unfortunately in our country, 
we've become over-politicized. We, we're, we're a two-party system. A third party is not going to work. So you're either Democrat or Republican. Right. And the thing that I don't like is once we elect a president, we don't say that's our president. We're American. No, I'm still a Republican and I'm going to do everything I can do to take down a Democrat. Or I'm a Democrat. Exactly. I'm going to do everything I can do. To but take did, down was it always Republican. that way? I don't no, remember it being it like that. always that way. John F. Kennedy, no. I think, was America's president. Yeah. Not the Republican or the Democrat. Yeah. Because imagine in business, if the marketing person doesn't like the new CEO and he's going to do everything he can to make the CEO looks bad. Right. Well, you know who really is hurt by that? The Everybody. Company. Yeah. I mean, the I remember company. when Obama our came in and they tried to. By, our country is hurt by this. We should say that Biden is our president. Right. And let's follow him. Right. Trump was our president. Let's follow him. Obama and, was our president. Let's follow him. Right. Bush and, and was our your- president. But I think it started, I don't know, when it started when news became subjective. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally objective. You're supposed to hear the news and it's just the facts. Yeah. Walter Cronkite. It's the facts that they want you to hear. Right. And then it goes back to this media. My last point, we got unplugged from the media. We got unplugged from social. We got to go back to what Alan talked about, picking up the phone or seeing people in person and talking. Because the biggest problem these kids have today, they don't have real friends. Yeah, that's true. That's right. You can't have real friendships, Googling people, texting people, and not seeing them. Right. Alan talked about seeing faces and body language. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. 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 Relationships. That's right. right. And you know, Frankie, yeah, I I will say something and not to to be discouraged or anything like that, but the very statement that you made about Trump, it's not about like or dislike. It's about what Gary just said. If if he's sitting in the White House and he's not meeting the needs of the American people, you vote him out in four years right. and we move on. Right. But but again, to your point, you know, he kind of opened the door to all this personal character assassination and that went back and forth. So I, I am very careful about saying whether I like or dislike him or anyone because number one, I don't know him. Right. Uh, number two, you know, I do look and see that somebody does love him. I mean, his family, his kids, you know, look at him, call him dad, call him uncle, call him brother. So somebody does like him, whomever that is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but but we have to we have to not do that. We have to uh, accept people in the seat that they're in. One of the things in the military, they make it very clear to us and says. You don't have to like the person, but you have to respect the uniform that they wear or right. the rank that they were in their sleeve. You okay. have to respect But can them. we, can we? And so again. Okay. And- to that point, respect the uniform, respect the job. But if you're not doing the job, if, if the guy's not doing the job, it's pretty hard to respect him. And somebody who well, can't do the, the job. Flash, Frankie, the, the news flash is, he wasn't a surprise. People knew of him before they elected him. Yeah. So but I, the American, American yeah. however happened, whatever happened, he was elected. Right. Right, wrong, or indifferent, he was elected. So we have to, again, go back to, okay, I don't like this guy. In four years, my vote's going to go for the next guy and get him out of there. Um, but he's I still think, around. He's still well, there in the background running the show. How is this possible? Well, it's like the Clintons, you know, it's like the Clintons, Hillary. I mean, so I, my personal opinion, I think the office of the White House was fine up until the Clinton era. I think that's when we start seeing the change and the, and the desecration of that office. I'll share this with you. This is a personal statement. Okay. When I retired out of the military, Bill Clinton was in office at my retirement ceremony, which is one of the most defining moments in one's life, when they hand me my letter signed by him, I balled it up and threw it in the trash. And I said, I refuse to have anything in my house with that man's name. Wow. And here's why. Here's why. Yeah. He accepted the job as a commander in chief. He sent people to their deaths. He sent the country to war. He was responsible for that. But when it came down to his personal character. Right. Okay. He was, un- he was not honorable. That's right. And upholding that. So don't hold me to a different standard. 
Right. And that was and that was my issue. Right. And 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 from that point on, you know, I think in the Obama administration, um, he and Michelle did an absolute wonderful job in trying to bring character and dignity back into the Agreed. Unfortunately, there may have been character and dignity, but as far as a country leader, you know, it, it, you know, because of the way our, our politics have made that office, if you don't have that political clout or that political depth, you're just a figurehead. And I unfortunately think that's where he was. The good news was he didn't hurt nothing or he didn't help anything. I think he Michelle helped people a lot. I think Michelle helped people a lot. I yeah. agree 100%. Yeah. But just as I'm just looking at this at Yeah, no, I hear feet, you. you know yeah. 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 I get so, it. I get it. But we as a people go back to all the things that we're saying about how um, our country has uh, has degraded so much or has, has dissolved so much in their moral character that now it's now filtered up to that level. You know, um, it, it's really yeah. sad. You know, and even, even the, new, the new administration. I'm sorry, but I can't give them credit because, again, I think I think there was a lot of uh, um, uh, bad things that happened that I know of. Yeah, that was masked to look like I'm the good guy, but I don't I don't think either one is any better than the other. I'll put it that way. Okay. Yeah. Let me let me let me move on to something then, yeah. because I I, I want to say this because this has been something that has been on my heart for. Ever and ever and ever. Gary, when, when you froze and I asked you about, there, there was no indigenous people in, 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 in the course at the Polk Institute, not that it's your fault. Um, can, we have, can we have racial harmony if we continue to have indigenous people living on reservations? I mean, don't you think we kind of have to lost that one away before you know that that's like one of it's still a horror in that in this country or in your country and my country we still have reservations and like i think that has to just go that has to go before we can move forward we're still subjugating people well i agree with that and you know the thing is is that i've never really uh i've been on a couple reservations um we have casinos and yeah, now we, we have casinos and they're all on the Indian reservations because of the laws, because they're a sovereign area. Right. And so I don't know if, if there's a simple answer to that because I think that other than black Americans or blacks in America, the indigenous people were probably treated the worst. And it's just, if you read, I've read a couple books about the history of um, Indians or Native Americans. And it's interesting that on one hand, you had warriors that didn't wanna, that would rather die on a battlefield. But when you think about the leader who said, if we really go to war, we'll be annihilated. And what's better? Is it better to preserve a race of people that live on a reservation than to all die on the battlefield? So it's one thing to be a warrior and say, I'm gonna give up my life individually. But I think it's another thing to be that tribal leader that says, we'll take the reservation because it at least gives us a future. Except they so, took their language, they took their names, they took their absolutely. ability to, to procreate. They, you know, they certainly, the, you know, gave women hysterectomy so they couldn't have children. They, right. that's a reservation life. Thank you very much. Well, even worse yeah. than that, we gave them alcohol and we knew that alcohol did things to their body. Right. And smallpox. Others. Yeah. And so, you know, there's so many. I mean, we could be here all day talking about this, but I think the reservation probably, I don't know if we could push a button and say it goes away. Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever heard of the Amish? Yep. I have yeah. them living right near me. They're about 20 million in America and they came up. They weren't forced this way. They chose that lifestyle. Right. We have their lifestyle. But that's but different no when you choose it. Amish. But the thing is, is that we've controlled the Native Americans because we thought them of as savages. Right. And I'll never forget, we have, uh, in California, we have these missions. And in the fourth grade, 
schools go to the California missions. And I had a flexible schedule. So I remember, I'll never forget this, San Juan Capistrano mm -hmm. and the guy was talking and said, the savages, blah, blah, blah. And I said, wait a minute, you're telling these fourth grade kids that these were savages because they had a different culture? I said, you can't use the word savages because they were not savages. Actually, they were people that were more in tune to nature than we've ever been. They and hunted for food, not for sport. The funny I mean, thing is you wouldn't have Thanksgiving if it wasn't for the native Indians helping the white people survive that first winter. There would not be a Thanksgiving in America. Like it just blows my mind. It makes me so angry, really. <laughs> and so if you ever remember the movie Roots. Yes. Kente and he yes. ran and they chopped off half his foot. I didn't know that the Catholic missionaries, when the Indians rejected their religion, would run. They would get them and chop. Jesus. What is it that makes us so violent, I wonder? Well, I think, again, it's all about control and domination. Um, and that's what that was all about uh, during that era. <clears throat> you know, and, and to, the, to the point of the indigenous folks, um, yes, they gave them casinos as a referendum. However, unfortunately, having the keys to a Maserati with not driver's license or gas yeah. is, is just... That's uh, you true. Know, it's just a, but it's uh, not just that, Eric. Alan, look at, I mean, they just, they mm -hmm. just, they, they just put up a, a, a podium with it, with a noose for Mike Pence a couple of weeks ago. It's not just that, yeah. Eric. It's every, it's right, right. all the time because yeah. small minds, but small minds, Bingo. small minds. Yeah. And unfortunately the, the, the divide, the economic divide is widening by the moments uh, and not, not by the years, by the yeah. moments. And, and, you know, again, I think television desensitizes us to change. So I can visually see at some point in time in our world, you will have an area for the haves and you'll have an area for the have-nots. And the have-nots will be left to their own defense to survive, kill, maim, whatever they need to do. Oh, it makes me so to sad. To survive where the haves will be living in a posh environment, enjoying life, having caviar and steak served to them on a silver platter. Can't allow that. It's Can't allow that. But unfortunately, that 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 uh, genie's out of the bottle, and that horse has left the barn. We can't bring her back, you know. And that's that's the problem. And so, you know, what do what do leaders like us do? Is exactly what we're trying to do now is try to educate as best we can of the people that we come in contact with. Right. One of the things we're trying trying to do at the university level the institute. What's that? One of the things we're trying to do at the university. I'm sorry. You hear me? Okay. I can hear you, Gary. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to teach. Yes, sir. Alan is getting a delay, I think. Yes. Okay, critical Gary. Thinking, critical thinking is important well, because we want our students to challenge a textbook, challenge what they hear on the media, challenge social media, because once upon a time, it was if you heard it on TV, you thought yeah. it was true. Now, if you hear it on social media, you think it's true, but you got to consider the source. And so critical thinking means the professor is not always going to be right. The media is not always going to be right. Social media is not going to always and be right. And your belief system is not always going to be right. You don't know who exactly. put that in there. Well, because exactly. what your parents and grandparents may have taught you. Exactly. Different time. Exactly. You have to be able to say, well, granddad thought this way, but granddad was wrong because we now have new information. Right. There you but go. That's people, right. There's some people, there's so, and it's called really dogmatic. Mm -hmm. And the problem mm -hmm. with being dogmatic is that you never grow. Yeah. Once hmm. upon a time, I could tell you that I thought gays was not cool or not good because it was a choice. And I came from a religious background. But when I found out it was not a choice, then I had to accept gay people because it wasn't a choice. That's right. I remember, I think I was watching Milk or something. And someone said, well, why would I choose this lifestyle? Exactly. I was going to say, why would they choose something that's so difficult? Exactly. Yeah. But now they own it. They embrace it, and it's kind of like good for them. Yeah. Because it's not, so again, I had to evolve, but there's some people that are so dogmatic, some religions that are so dogmatic, even with new evidence, they don't want to believe it. They want to be stuck in time. Yeah. And once again, back, back to our societal labels, right? It's like, hey, why do I care what you do with your time 
and, yeah. and your bedroom and your sexuality. That's exactly. not important to me. But you as Gary is an outstanding individual. That's what's important to me. I could care less about your personal uh, thing. Yeah. As long as your character is intact, as long as your moral compass is facing the right direction, as long as your integral love is there, you're aces with me. I love you know, knowing that you two are in this thing. world. I do. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for, for being here today. We got to go. Unfortunately, it goes so fast. But I'm really, really happy that, you know, you're, you're in this world and imparting that information and, and character, showing them what character looks like. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're pleasure. here because you have a platform and you allow hopefully others that can hear what we're talking about. And so you're doing your thing as well. So I'm glad that you have the open Absolutely. point and you want to bring us on and even explain to your Jewish background and why you're here, you're Canadian. That's all good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I agree 100%. And this, and this makes it a great, you know, triad right here because uh, we all have different perspectives, but all the same too. So That's I right. love it. And this is what it's going to take to make a change. Yeah. And, exactly and you know what? Three diverse people can have a conversation and it doesn't have to explode into anything crazy. Just a sharing Respect of ideas. Other. Yeah. There you go. Okay. We're going to say goodbye to Facebook. Goodbye, Facebook. We're coming off. And gentlemen, thank you.